I mean, I think there was some thought to the questioning. I yeah. Mean, I think it was ineffectual, but at least it was. Senators were more woke yeah. this time around. That, exactly. That's that's how I would say it. I mean, I think that they realized. You would like, say it woke, huh, Mom? Yeah, that's, that's, just, that's again. <laughs> Hashtag my, woke. It's my vernacular. <laughs> When I was growing up, I was always told that I was too much to handle. I was too loud, too opinionated, too demanding, just plain too much. Now, as an adult, I celebrate these qualities within myself and within the women I know. This is a call to action. This is a space to own your too muchness. This is too much to handle. I'm Hannah Cranston, the host of Too Much to Handle, where we talk about the amazing, the raw, the ugly, the painfully funny, and just plain real truth behind being a woman in your 20s and 30s. These are the conversations you're already having behind closed doors about everything from sex and dating, career pros and woes, to body issues. And we're just airing them. They might be too much to handle. But that's what we like. And today, I'm going to be way too much. You guys, this is a big deal. I'm going to be way too much with my mom. Hi, mama. How are you? Nervous, but okay. You're doing great so far. Thanks, thanks. Killing it. I feel good about how I've done so far. (laughs) That intro, you killed it. Thank you. Um, I am so excited to have my mom on the podcast today uh, because we have a really big question that we're tackling. The question is, when did you become a feminist? Um, And I think I'm talking about the universal you, the universal we, because I think some of the pivotal moments and themes here will resonate with a lot of women and men. Um, I think so much of what we learn about gender roles and our place in the world, we learn from our parents, from our moms. So of course, I would have to have my mom on the show. Um, The other day, I, I was talking with one of my friends about when I became a a quote unquote feminist, when I really identified with the word. And while I think I have been a feminist all along, which we'll get into later in the show, um, I didn't identify as one until way later in life. And I really wanted to dive deep into that and why that was with my mama, one of the biggest feminist badass I know. Uh, But before we get to all of that and so much great stuff, I wanted to remind you all to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For those of you who review the podcast, I'm giving shout outs. So I do want to give a shout out to uh, Karthik T0624, somebody who goes by the name of Don't Ask For My Papers, and Tess Davis. So keep those coming. I really, really appreciate them. And also please share screenshots of you listening or subscribing to the podcast. I've been reposting a lot of those on my Instagram and I love to hear your mid pod thoughts. All right, let's do a quick wrap up on our lives and the world and all that's been going on in the segment I'm calling the debrief. And normally during this time, I talk about something that's going on in my life, something insignificant. Uh, But yesterday there was a study that was published in uh, the New York Times that is very significant. And what they found was uh, after looking at data collected from 27,000 people between 1977 to 2016, they found that the majority of people believe that 
men and women should be equal in the workplace, uh, which is obviously something near and dear to my heart. (laughs) Um, But what they found that was really interesting, about 25% of respondents uh, thought that home life is actually a different story. That quarter of respondents reported believing that women should still take on more responsibility around the house, whether that be taking care of children or tending to general domestic tasks. Um, And I think what we know is that, you know, women take on the lion's share of the housework in general, and they've kind of uh, been able to quantify that. And they've found that women actually do four more hours of after work work than men do. Um, But I think it's really interesting, right? Because I think we separate home life and career, but what you do inside the house oftentimes can mirror what you do outside of the house. You know, do you feel, do you, does that resonate with you? This, this study, does that surprise you at all or? No, not at all. I mean, I remember when both my husband and I were corporate lawyers, Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that anymore, but when we were both corporate lawyers, I remember I would get home from work and I I worked literally till I fell asleep, which was usually like reading you a story. Mm. Like I was constantly on the go. I couldn't relax until literally I fell asleep. So doing work, but also, you know, making dinner, taking care of me, taking care of Jessica. In um, the house. In the house. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's true for, for so many women. And I think sometimes we like to, Um, have this ideal that egalitarian relationships are what most people want and aspire to, but apparently a quarter of the country, you know, though they think we're equal uh, and should have equal work opportunities, don't think that should carry over into the home, which I think is uh, interesting and very apropos for today's conversation, which uh, leads me to the segment that we call Too Much to Handle. And our big question that we are asking today is when did you, when did we become feminists? And I'm really excited to have this conversation with my mom because we've never actually had this conversation in real life. That's true. You guys are going to be learning at the same time uh, I am, (laughs) which will, you know, be fun and interesting. I hope so. (laughs) You're going to do great. Um, Mom, do you identify as a feminist? I think I identify as a feminist in the principles behind that, but I don't think I use that language. I don't think that lexicon was something I grew up with or used until very recently, frankly. What do you think inspired you to use it more recently? I think, honestly, the state of our country, the where I see the trajectory of culturally where we're going, you know, where the handmaid's tale is what I feel like. And, and I've always lived the life of a feminist, mm-hmm. but the marches and, and the activities surrounding our current administration have led me to, to use the language of, I think, really the, that your generation is more comfortable with. Yeah. And you're, and you're right. My generation is more comfortable. And I think we assume, I guess people in my bubble assume that most um, young women are feminists and a lot of young women are, uh, but a l- most women my age are don't actually identify with the word either. They oftentimes 
believe in equality, which is the definition of feminism, FYI, but they don't identify with the word because sometimes they feel like the movement and the activism that that is um, inspired by the word and inspired by feminism in general doesn't necessarily represent them. There was a new poll from Refinery29 and CBS News that found that 54% of young women said they do not identify as feminists, which might surprise a lot of people in the era of Me Too, Time's Up, and like you mentioned, this era of Trump. Um, But you know, needless to say, they are still more likely than older women to call themselves feminists. Um, just 34% of American women, 36 and older, call themselves feminists. And not to like call out your age, but you are older than 36. I was just going to say, I object to the term older women, but other than that, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, so I do think that's interesting that you didn't identify with it until recently, because a lot of women in in your demographic don't necessarily call themselves feminists, right? I think it's hooked to, and, and maybe it's just in my mind or maybe it's in my my age group. I, It's related to activism. Mm. Like I'm a feminist in the terms of I was never going to work and be paid less than the, the, the guy in the next office. Like mm-hmm. I would have objected. I would have gone to battle on that. But I didn't use the term because I didn't feel I was an activist. Until, yeah. Until more recently. And I and I think that's interesting because I do think the activism that you probably witnessed growing up in the 60s and 70s during second wave feminism was, um, you know, it was very unique in that it was very outspoken and in the news and aggressive, rightfully so, but it was very aggressive. And I think um, sometimes people you know, who weren't, weren't a part of that didn't necessarily want to be associated with that because I do think in general and historically feminists have, have gotten sort of a bad rap and they don't necessarily deserve that. But you know, the way that media sometimes portrays them, especially um, in the past has been in a really negative light. So I could understand why some people wouldn't want to identify with that. Now I think it's become so, ubiquitous and can take on so many different forms and people understand that it's, or I think some people understand that it's not as monolithic as the feminist movements of the past. And so I think people identify with it more. I know, obviously, I think it's like one of the defining characteristics of who I am and what I do. It's like woman, feminist, dog mom. (laughs) I grew up in the era of now. Like I was, you know, National Organization of Women was coming to light was organizing when I was young and it did, it was portrayed as sort of this, um, not militaristic, but it wasn't portrayed well on a lot of the, um, a lot of media. Yeah. Um, but it was, to me, it was so interesting because I had grown up with the idea that I was equal and I was going to have every opportunity my brother was going to have. And I was going to college and I could have a career and I could be anything I wanted to be. But I do remember watching coverage of now and mm-hmm. thinking like there's no one in my immediate circle where I grew up that mm-hmm. was talking about it, that was thinking about it. it I grew up in a very old fashioned community mm-hmm. and it just wasn't something that I talked about at home or at school or anywhere, frankly, until I was in college. Yeah. And I do think that that kind of plays into probably some of the terminology because I know, you know, like I, I, grew up 
not because of anything that you did, but I grew up kind of thinking that feminist was a, a bad word, which I think a lot of people think, you know, and, and for, especially for my grandparents, your parents' generation, um, you know, that concept, that, that image that we have of the sort of burly woman who doesn't shave and hates men is actually comes from during the suffrage movement when men were upset that women were demanding the right to vote. And so they made the them these like caricatures, these parodies in newspapers and that image and that trope has really sort of um, unfortunately stood the test of time. And we still have some of that. Um, And I think a lot of people, when they think of feminism, think of that image and think of that sort of woman. Um, Not to say that being burly or not shaving or hating men is a bad thing, but some people think that. Um, But that kind of leads me to my next question. What does feminism mean to you? Well, I think it just means equal rights, you know, regardless of gender. So that's the ironic part, because obviously I've always believed in that. And my mother's always believed in that, but we would have never until more recently identified as feminist. And my mother would still respond to that word and say, no, I'm not a feminist. Mm. And I would, could say, do you believe in equality? you know, based, you know, regardless of gender. And she would absolutely agree with that. So I do think the word has connotations that, that, you know, have been put upon it that are not, that are not natural to the actual definition. Yeah. And a lot of people, uh, agree with you on that. So there's a majority of people who don't consider themselves feminists. I think it's only like 75% of Americans don't consider themselves feminists. And this is according to a HuffPost YouGov poll, But what's interesting is when they were asked if they believe that men and women should be social, political, and economic equals, 82% of the survey respondents said they did, and just 9%—9% of the assholes said they did not. So equal—and those percentages uh, were equal between men and women. So they agreed with that statement. And so I think a lot of it has to do with branding, right? Because of how it's branded, how it's um, portrayed in media, how it's portrayed— you know, in the movement, you know, when we're looking at the the more active activism, if you will. Um, and according to that same HuffPost YouGov poll, 37% said they consider feminist to be a negative term compared to only 26% who consider it to be a positive term. And then 29% said it's a neutral term. And no surprise here, men were more likely than women to consider feminist a negative term. And I think... When I was younger and I started to be aware of feminist ideals, I think I was still scared of the word because I wanted boys to like me. And I think that there was this, this um, you know, cognitive inc- incongruence with the concept of like, wait, I like boys and I want boys to like me, but I also want equal rights and I don't want to associate with this word because boys think that this is a bad word. You know, I think I had that, that, um, you know, uh, I struggled with that. I think, I really do think that feminism means different things to different people. I mean, if you go down to the base of it, just mm-hmm. equality, I, again, I don't think that you're going to find a lot of people who are going to disagree with that at this time. And certainly with your generation, mm-hmm. I think your generation is going to be able to move further than mine was Mm -hmm. towards equality. But I just think there's a lot of baggage the word carries. And so different people in different areas of the country think it means different things. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and 
in our area of the country, like I remember going to a women's leadership conference, literally a, a women empowerment conference at the age of 16. And I remember saying I wasn't a feminist because I like to shave and I like boys. Only, <laughs> only one of which is true today. I still hate shaving. <laughs> I really hate shaving. <laughs> right. How much did I pay for that conference? <laughs> but I remember, I remember just saying that I wasn't a feminist. Like I, be, I remember saying, I believe in equality, of course, but I'm not a feminist because I, I like doing these things. And I think people still associate with that, which just shows you how powerful propaganda can really be. Um, when do you think you became a feminist? Well, given my definition of feminism or feminist, I was... Your all, definition is is the definition, FYI. Okay, well, yeah. I, then I've always been a feminist. Yeah. But I didn't start really using the word out loud publicly again until, you know, things like the Women's March and the election of our president and, and, and seeing, you know, seeing women's rights starting to be trampled on and seeing where our country was headed with a, a multitude of issues that I started using the term and feeling very comfortable with it. And I think that's because I was acting more like an activist. Mm. I was living the life of a feminist always and always had those beliefs, but somehow maybe because how I was raised or the time I was raised in, feminist had the meaning of activist. Mm. So I think as I've watched what's happening and I've gotten out and made signs and marched and made phone calls and done all those things, to me that feels more like a feminist, that the word applies better. Yeah. And I do think that what sometimes we f forget as activists is sometimes a... a noble form of activism is just believing in that and having those conversations. Like you don't necessarily need to be on the front lines, but I think we have this image that definitely influences our perception of what an activist means, right? We see them with like, you know, their picket signs and whatever it is. And we definitely uh, got our picket sign on in, <laughs> in January of 2017. But I think activist and activism comes in so many shapes and sizes as well. And I think women my age are a little bit more um, aware of that, you know, and, and can see the different ways that they can perform activism. And I think a lot of that is enabled by the internet and having those conversations in a public forum that don't necessarily mean marching, but doing their own form of spreading the word and um, informing and also, you know, criticizing what's, what's going on in the country right now. Because I remember growing up, we didn't use the word in the house. Like I don't, I don't remember ever talking about the word feminism, right? Like I, I see you as someone who, you know, not only, you know, instilled feminist values, but also exemplified them for me, but we never used that terminology. Um, I don't think we started using that terminology really until you and your sister got older and, and I started associating more and, and speaking with a lot more of your friends who were young adults and and their view of feminism of being a feminist and and that brought home to me that that it was okay really to use mm -hmm. a, that kind of terminology because i think my generation and the generation before it did have a negative connotation and while we all believed in equality nobody was sitting there saying i'm a feminist and i want i'm i'm going to be an activist i think you're right i think we live that life we anticipated and expected and would have fought to the death to make sure you had equal opportunity. 
Yeah. But I didn't label myself. It just wasn't in my lexicon. Right, guys, I know you're totally entranced in the story of how me and my mom became feminists, but I actually want to tell you about another story, Story Worth. Story Worth makes it easy and fun for your loved ones to share their stories with weekly emailed story prompts questions that you've never even thought to ask. All you have to do is purchase a subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. They simply reply to the email with their story, or they can record it over the phone by calling the StoryWorth number. And at the end of the year, they'll get their stories bound in a beautiful hardcover book. It's a great way to strengthen your family bonds and get to know your loved one in a whole new way. I actually gifted this gift of story worth to my mom. And the first question that they prompted me to ask her was, what's a gift you always wanted someone to give you? And she replied, go-go boots. Who would have thunk it? Now, even though we're really close, I'm learning so many different things and being prompted to ask questions I would have never thought of. I am so excited to see what else she has to say and learn more about her and to see it all in a book at the end of the year. Now, for you guys, for my listeners, I'm offering $20 off Story Worth, and all you have to do is visit storyworth.com slash too much and enter the promo code too much. Guys, this is a really great gift for the holidays coming up. I hope you enjoy this gift of $20 off. All you have to do is visit storyworth.com slash too much. Real quick, guys, I just wanted to tell you about a new staple in my diet from Uveda. Now, Uveda combines 5,000-year-old knowledge of ancient Ayurvedic herbs with the science of modern vitamins and minerals. They offer a variety for different concerns, including digestion, immunity, joints, body, and mood. I personally use the My Healthy Mood, and if you can believe it, it actually puts me in a better mood than I am already in. Now, it includes powerful adaptogens for calming an overactive mind, helps support stress, and adrenal fatigue which I think we all can use in this current climate. Now, to get 35% off your first order, head on over to uveta.com slash too much. I think a lot of millennial women, and no, to no fault of your own or parents of your generation, I think we were kind of, um, I guess, taught or brought up thinking that we were in a post-feminism era, that we didn't need it anymore because we had already achieved so much. And then, you know, as we got older and we graduated college, we realized like that was BS, you know, and that we don't have a lot of uh, equal rights in so many aspects of everyday life. I think that's when it sort of made a resurgence and where people started um, associating themselves with the word more because it was still like, there were still concepts around it when I was younger. Because I, I think of my first sort of, I guess, relationship with, with women empowerment for, and I think it's the same for a lot of women my age is the girl power of the nineties, the Spice Girls. Like I remember constantly saying girl power because that's what Ginger Spice said. And I loved her and they challenged sexism so often. You can see interview clips of them challenging directors and interviewers on sexist questions. And I remember that really speaking to me but not understanding 
the words of why it spoke to me. Um, and I don't even, I went to an all girls school and I don't even remember the word being really used there while they instilled the values. Absolutely. Um, the only time I can think of it being used is to describe, you know, whether it be the suffrage movement or women's lib in the sixties and seventies, it was used more as a thing of the past. It wasn't used as, oh, we still need this today, even though the entire concept behind the school is, is rooted in feminism and rooted in women's empowerment. Um, we just didn't use it. I think, I, I mean, I, hats off, frankly, to the generations before me. Okay. Oh, I they mean, have fought. <laughs> they fought. They fought hard. And I think they did open doors for people like me that, you know, my law school class had a number, a number of women in it, you know, much more than the, the generation before me. And so I do think we are in that post, okay, now we can be anything we want to be. We're going to get paid the same. I think there was a lull. I think you're right. And I think that it wasn't until your generation was really pointing out a number of the inequalities that still existed. I think we were just happy mm -hmm. in my generation that we could get into schools and graduate schools in, in traditionally male roles, like being a lawyer. But I'll tell you, I got into law school, but when I became a lawyer— you know, I had on a pinstripe suit, a white shirt, a red bow tie, and a skirt because, you know, you couldn't go to court in pants. Yeah. Know, there were actual memos saying you will dress this way, and judges would comment if you weren't dressed in a skirt, heels, and nylons. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, that's wild. But I also think that you're a product of your parents, and depending on, you know, when you were born— like women had just gotten the right to vote when my grandparents were, you know, being born or, you know, some grandparents were, were um, you know, in their youth. Like to think how far we've come, I think, can be really exciting, you know, in the past 100 years to think how much we've achieved as women. Obviously, we still have a long way to go. Um but I think you were brought up and like, okay, we, we have the right to vote. You know, they're saying we can exactly. go to work now. Like you can be whoever you want to be. And the women of my generation are like, yeah, but we want to be equal, you know? That's and I the think, difference. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, I think we were just so excited for the advancements that had been made mm -hmm. that maybe we did sit a little bit, sit back a little bit too much. And then your generation's going to have to take up the, the torch again. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's called the waves of feminism. Like it does come in waves and there are, you know, peaks and troughs as with any wave. And so of course, like there's going to be lulls or troughs. Um, and, and I do think that, you know, we're definitely reaching the peak now um, with women my age. Cause I even remember in, in, college, I still don't think I identified as a feminist. I remember them telling us during orientation that women came in confident and men came in not as confident and that women's confidence would take a sharp decline by the end of college and men's confidence would take a sharp incline. And I remember thinking like, that's not right. That's, there seems something wrong with that. And I was an economics minor and which is, uh, is, and was a predominantly male um, subject matter. And I remember the first time realizing that I was being mansplained too. <laughs> I just remember, I so distinctly remember this in, it was in um, 
what is it called? Uh, like after hours, whatever. Teachers. Teacher hours. I don't remember the terminology. Office hours. Office hours. There we go. And this guy was telling me I was totally wrong doing this thing and telling me that I wasn't going to do well on the test and that I didn't know what I was talking about. Just let him do it. Let him write on the board and all of this stuff. And I remember thinking, no, I'm, I'm right. And then the professor correcting him and I did way better on the test than him because he, and then he was shocked. He asked me what grade I got and I, you know, I did well. And I remember him coming up to me and shocked that I did well. And I'm like, are you living in your own world? And it turns out, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out, yes. And so I think there were like little moments where I realized there's something off here. And it wasn't until like many women, it wasn't until I took a gender studies course that my whole world was changed. I took a course on um, women in business and the obstacles they have to overcome to just even get 75% or 77% of what men get. And I was hooked angry, but hooked. And I think that that anger is oftentimes a defining factor and a pivotal moment for a lot of women. You know, thinking and believing in the equality of women is one thing. And then realizing that the world doesn't feel that way and doesn't mirror that is infuriating. And I think that emotion can really be an impetus for a lot of women and their identification as a feminist, and I think you were saying the same when you went to the march and that sort of emotion really fueled your identity. Uh, I think that's right. I also think and you're right about the anger because, you know, you were born in the year of Anita Hill. Yeah. And so I remember watching that and and just being disgusted by the way she was treated, the way she was questioned, the implications about her as a person mm. when she's coming forward to tell her to tell her story and mm-hmm. to try to help our country like know who we you know, which we've seen recently again, know who's who who they're putting in an office of with a lot of power. And she was trying to explain her version of what what happened to her so that people could make an informed decision. And she was treated so horribly. And just the the underlying, we don't believe you, why would anybody do just the the underlying current of it mm-hmm. was was the antithesis of the feminist movement. It, it was it was hard to watch as a woman. And I, so, I didn't, I didn't want to have to do this, but I'll do it. So Anita Hill was in 1991. I was also born in 1991. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry for calling you out on yeah. that. But um, do, did that event, did that testimony impact the way that you were thinking about bringing up a girl in this, in this society and in this world? You know, I don't, I don't think so in terms of your father and I always, you know, would have done anything to make sure you had every opportunity. We would have, you know, gone all, we would have made sure that nobody mistreated you. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and, and I think we always viewed we would have always made sure you had a chance to do everything any any male person would have had a chance to do. I think that it it highlighted for me, I guess, why, and I didn't know about the wave, but why there needed to be a new wave of feminism. Mm-hmm. It highlighted for me, you know, and it, to me it's similar to the work I do. Yeah. You know, I work with sexual assault victims and the 
the conversation around that and the the disbelief and the idea that most women want to come in and, and have an exam and have evidence taken off their body to, to quote, get back at a man or they're making something up. It just, it was, it was exactly the same as what I watched with Anita Hill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, oh, that's an awake, and that was an awakening for me that we hadn't gone as far as I thought we had. Yeah. Um, sitting at my desk as a woman lawyer, um, it was, that was very awakening for me. And then again, to see it just recently. Yeah. Christine Blasey Ford. Yeah. That, 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 the, that the language around the subject matter hasn't changed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, I, I like, obviously I wasn't super conscious as, <laughs> oh, as a newborn. Um, but, but I, you know, reading about and listening to uh, the Anita Hill testimony now versus Christine Blasey Ford, it's like, there are so many parallels. And just as, you know, 1992 was called, you know, the year of the women, because so many women were motivated to run. Um, and so, you know, there were the most women in, in, in government ever. Um, you know, that really mirrors 2018 as well because women are angry. And and I and I I struggle with that word a little bit because I think there are negative connotations with being angry. And I try, I don't think uh, like I think there's that trope of like the angry feminist, but I do think that not being treated fairly and not being treated equally, like should make you angry. And if, you know, to not to, to, you know, repeat the cliche, but if you're not angry, you're not paying attention, you know, because there are so many, like the fact that it's been 20 plus years since that, and we're literally watched the exact same thing happen again is, is infuriating. It has to be. Well, it, it clearly is. And the only difference I think was, um, I mean, I think there was some thought to the questioning. I yeah. Mean, I think it was ineffectual, but at least it was— Senators were more woke yeah. this time around. That, exactly. That's that's how I would say it. I mean, I think that they realized— You would like, say it woke, huh, Mom? Yeah, that's, that's, that's again— <laughs> Hashtag my, woke. It's <laughs> my vernacular. Um, but I, I, that's what I think they learned, but they didn't learn— the, the, the dynamic didn't change, just the way the questions were asked, and that's mm. what was infuriating. And about being angry about it, I think— there's a lot to be angry about, um, and I'm glad more women run ran because I also believe that in general, I'm going to go out on the limb here. Do I think it, girl. In, be too much to handle. I'm going to be too. I think women in politics make better or exceptional leaders when given the opportunity. That's a uh, wildly controversial opinion. Yet it is rooted in fact and science. Um, Women who are are in the government actually bring in 9% more federal spending uh, than their male counterparts to their constituencies. They are shown to uh, actually be able to form more um, bipartisanship and they put uh, forward a lot more legislation than men. So while some people may have been offended by that, Suck it because the science backs it up. Um, you would have said that too, right? That's, That's kind of exactly, what you meant, You right? just took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> um, do you remember your mom ever, my bubby, uh, ever talking about gender equality? Like, was the topic of gender and gender dynamics ever approached in your house? No. 
I mean, I don't think we talked about it at all. I think it was always clear to me that she was happy she had a boy first and that boys are stronger. And thank God I had a big brother because he could help me out. I mean, I think... You poor little weak lady. Yeah, that's me. Um, I don't think we ever really talked about it. It's interesting because what was modeled in my childhood home You know, my mom worked. She was a registered nurse. She was smart and capable. And She left home at the age of 17, moved to a different country, put herself through nursing training, and like ran shit. Right. Ran shit in the hospital. She was a badass feminist, but... But didn't identify. Interesting. Right. So she left Canada, came here as a 17... She was 17 years old. Came here on her own, Came went to Chicago, the North End. And she she went to school, made herself a nurse, and then got a job and, you know, took care of business. But in the home, my dad's job always came first. I mean, she worked, but she worked around his hours. And and um, I think what she modeled for us, while we didn't talk about it, she modeled, she, you know, he chose what was on the TV, the one TV we had. And then she jumped up when he wanted more coffee. And she had dinner on the table when he walked in the door at 4.30 because he was hungry at 4.30. So she modeled all that 1950s housewife, yet her message to my brother and I was, oh, no, 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 you're both going to college. You're going to help him mow the lawn because that was his job, and he's going to help you with the dishes because that's that's equality. So while she didn't model that mm-hmm. in her own life, she definitely made it clear to us that that's how life was going to be. And we were both going to college and, you know, she decided which college and she told us where to apply and that we applied to one school and that was it and we were going. So, yeah, she was, you know, a tough... Tough cookie. Tough cookie. And, and you know, she... Still is to this day. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, and I think, you know, I did the same thing to you. Like, I raised you and your sister to think you could... To know you could do anything you wanted to do. You were going to college... And you were going to work your ass off in school to get to, you know, to make sure you had every opportunity in the world. But yet, I think, you know, what was modeled for me, I think I try to make sure that dinner's ready when your dad gets home mm-hmm. and all those same things. I, I don't, I think we're much more, you know, have a much more equal marriage than my yeah, parents Yeah, more egalitarian. Did. I think that's yeah. right. But but I think there's vestiges of that old... Uh, model for me. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that's fair with each generation. It's not like they're reinventing the wheel. Right. And so you learn, you see what's exemplified for you. And of course you can make tweaks and adjustments that fit the times better and that fit your ideals better. But I think some of it's going to last. Like I, um, the other night made dinner for my boyfriend and in my head, I was thinking, Oh, I'm catering to him. I am a good girlfriend. And I make dinner for my friends all the time. And I think it's just like a good, nice thing to do for people. But there's that distinction between like, oh, I'm being a good woman right now by making this food. And I kind of caught myself in that and being like, wait, why do I think that? Right? Because I think some of, like like you said, those vestiges remain and we keep some of those ideals of uh, what a good wife, a good woman, we a good girlfriend what, be. Yeah. yeah, we replicate what we what we see. Right. And it gets better with time, but it's, it's going to take time, you know? Um, so you said you and your brother weren't brought up differently. Did you have, did your mom have different expectations for you? I think she views, you know, uh, male careers as more important. So yeah. I think initially, yes, but I think 
once we both went to college and I went on to law school, I think, um, no, I don't think she had different expectations. Yeah. And I think it's hard. I mean, especially looking at me and my sister, like it, we didn't have a brother. So we were both raised very similarly. Um, and I definitely wasn't raised gender neutral. I don't even think that was a concept that was talked about back then, um, back in the old days. Um, but I do remember not feeling pressured from you to fit gender norms. Like I remember in fifth grade wearing, (laughs) (laughs) try not to laugh so hard. I thought about the same thing when you told me what we were talking about. I wore basketball shorts to school every single day with my hair pulled back in a wet bun. And you bought me boys shoes. I really wanted boys uh, basketball shoes, the Iversons, because those were the you know, hot shoe back in the day. And you let me wear that and express myself in the way uh, I wanted to, regrettably. But <laughs> you, did, you didn't say like, oh no, girls are supposed to wear X, Y, Z, you know, put your hair down, um, all of those sort of things that I think a lot of girls are brought up with. You sort of let me go through that phase. That wasn't uh, your only phase on <laughs> clothes. I had a lot of phases, okay, guys? ever-changing, you know, I'm just a chameleon. Um, but I do remember feeling the freedom to doing, to do that and feeling the freedom to, you know, in the fifth grade, both explore basketball, but also, you know, I wanted to try ballet. So I had the option of both, uh, neither of which I'm, I'm phenomenal at, but you know, we love watching you do it. (laughs) Um, but when I was growing up, like, obviously you didn't use the terminology Um, but did you want me to be a feminist? Was that even a thought that passed, you know, passed through your mind? I don't, I don't think your father and I ever thought about, do we want her to be a feminist? I think we just thought that we wanted you to have every opportunity and that we wanted to empower you to grab hold of whatever you wanted to try. Um, You know, I'm particularly proud that you're a feminist today in this time, in this age, and the way you're outspoken about it. But I don't think as a child we were thinking about the term feminist. We wanted you to try basketball and try ballet and try archery and try every, you know, we wanted you to try everything and see what you loved. But I don't really remember that being part of the way we thought or spoke about it. We just wanted you to try everything. And not be and not be bound by what people thought your gender should be bound by. Yeah, I, I think what sort of uh, sticks with me from that is, like, I remember growing up with a lot of confidence. Like, I had a lot of you probably, had a probably tremendous, a little too much. <laughs> like, just tremendous hello, amount. The name of the podcast. <laughs> Here are the roots. You're learning it now. Um, I had a lot of confidence and. I, uh, you know, I think you always told me I was smart and capable and also beautiful. And I think a lot of people get on parents for calling their daughters beautiful. Um, and there were definitely some periods of my life that probably was really hard for you to use those words directed at me. (laughs) Um, But I think that every kid should be taught that they're beautiful, that their bodies are beautiful, that their souls are beautiful. And I remember having that confidence in all of those areas. Um, and I think those are some of the ideals of, of feminism and then the, the foundation for it. Um, but I also remember being called um, bossy in third grade and it being sort of like an issue. And instead of telling me not to be bossy, I remember you guys just wanted to foster some teamwork 
abilities as well. Um, because you understood as I understood that I knew the right way and my way was better. Not everybody else was on board, but you know, they'll, they'll, they'll learn eventually, but you did, you know, you didn't say like, Oh, don't be bossy. You said, Oh, here's other ways that we can, you know, help you work in a team, which I think are beneficial, um, tools for, for everybody, you know? I mean, I think we wanted you to be vocal, mm-hmm. you know, and say what you thought was right or you, when it was new you, is new, right. New yeah. is right. That, I think that's the right terminology I there. Think I was going there. Um, but at the same time, there was a way. I didn't want to squash that. I didn't want to squash that you were going to make sure you had a seat at the table your whole life. We knew that from very, very early on, that you were vocal, you were vigilant. And um, we just, again, wanted to expand the way you approach things, but not quash that enthusiasm for life and activities. Do you remember me ever asking questions about anything I perceived as, you know, unfair because I was a girl? I think the truth about that is, is that you were always really strong and you, nobody was going to tread on you. So I don't remember specific instances where, you know, you were mistreated because you were a girl. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I remember conversations about with your dad trying to buy you video games. You mm. know, he wanted to play video games with you. And it was really a struggle to find video games that had girls as prominent mm. figures. And I remember, like, he finally found a snowboard game. Unfortunately, he didn't like video games. But um, he really wanted to, to do those activities. But he really wanted to bring in, you know, strong females into that arena. And that wasn't easy when you were young. I remember being pissed at Mario Kart because my only girl option was Princess Peach. And while Princess Peach is amazing, like I wanted like a more, I remember thinking that I wanted like a stronger feminine figure. Not that wearing pink or a dress makes you any less of a strong woman. And I'm aware of that now. But I think when I was younger, like pink and dresses, I associated them with weak. Right. And I think a lot of women and men to this day still think that now I know that those, you know, facts aren't true, but I remember thinking like, oh, she's not going to win because she's wearing a dress and she's wearing pink. I want to pick someone who's going to win. And so I'd pick, you know, I don't remember who I picked. I um, think the other thing that I remember from your youth and and worrying about f- fairness and, and mistreatment was there came a point in, I don't know if it was seventh grade or eighth grade, where all the girls started going to dances in, you know, outfits that were totally uncomfortable and shoes that were totally uncomfortable. They were walking around in things that didn't fit and high heels and they could barely walk. And, you know, and the guys would walk in in jeans and tennis shoes. And I was, I just, I was, that really, I remember to this day how struck I was by the unfairness of what the girls were going through to try to look as the boys wanted them to look. And mm. the boys were wearing what they wore to school and were totally comfortable and didn't care. And yeah. I remember being very struck by that, how all the girls at some point just started catering to what boys wanted to see them wear. You, however. <laughs> I did not do that. <laughs> you didn't, it, not initially, right? Yeah. You did not. You you decided in seventh and eighth grade that clogs, 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 hair Guys, dance goes <laughs> so hot right now. <laughs> I don't know why I was a later bloomer. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Um, yes, I definitely was not the most fashion forward uh, kid, but I was, I was comfortable. Right, I was getting exactly. my groove on. Exactly. You um, were you and, yeah. and didn't didn't give into that. But I, that always really bothered me. And I see it to this day. 
Yeah. Each generation of young women, at some point, they just start dressing for somebody else. Yeah. And playing the game. Right. Like, I think I, I, I would love to roll out of bed, shower, throw my hair back in my wet bun and come to work. But I know that I have to play the game and play my gender a little bit um, in order to succeed, which is BS, but it's the truth. I, I seared into my brain. I actually don't know if you know this story. Uh, maybe it'll ring a bell. Maybe I talked to you about it at the time, but seared into my brain is this instance where I remember boys playing soccer on this, you know, during recess when I was in elementary school. And I remember going up and being with a girlfriend and being like, Hey, can we play? Like we want to play, put us on a team. And I remember being told, no, like this is only for boys. Like, well, this is the only boys team. No girls are allowed is on. by a student or by? By a student, by a student. Um, that was, was, no, was going to no, get really yeah. mad and go call a school, but go ahead. <laughs> 20 years later, <laughs> 20 years ago. Um, no. So I remember a student saying like, no girl is allowed, you know, which whatever it was, it was, uh, I think that's a lot of kids, right? Girls have cooties, boys have cooties. But I remember being told no girls allowed. And I remember thinking that was so unfair. And I remember being angered by that and being, going home and being like, okay, I am just, and fantasizing. I remember fantasizing about getting so good at soccer so that I could get on the field and beat those boys and show them. Now, unfortunately with my hand-eye coordination, that was not going to happen. So then I started readjusting that fantasy and thinking, well, I'm just going to be really good at something else and show them that I can hold my own and being so motivated by being told that I couldn't do something um, and, and taking pride when I like beat boys in handball or at something that, you know, was more athletic or something that girls weren't supposed to do, quote unquote. Um, and that was like sort of my first recognition or like that first memory of thinking that something's not right here. This is unfair which like, I don't know why I remember that story so vividly, but it really clearly had a really big impact on how I perceive gender dynamics. Right. Absolutely. Well, see, that's why we don't have memories of you being, you know, mistreated as a girl, because that was your reaction, frankly, not, and you know, it, that was unique to someone your age. Yeah. And I think, you know, so many of us, so many of the women in my generation, um, you know, grew up being told that we were equal and in this post-feminist world. And while that wasn't true, I think that formed our confidences in a, a way that is now allowing us to lead the next wave, lead this generation of feminists. Because I think it really instilled in us like, oh, wait, we're equal. We're supposed to be equal. That's not what we're seeing. We're going to change that. You know, we weren't brought up in that as much of a 1950s sort of household environment. And so I think now we're more motivated to make that change, uh, especially for the next generation, which leads me to my next question. What do you want for the women of the future? Well, that's a big question. Um, Oh, did you think this is going to be easy? <laughs> you kind of promised that. It's but, not okay. called little much to handle. <laughs> like, not enough to handle. <laughs> I, I think what's hard for me is that in, 
in this world, in this, in this, our country, we still, I mean, our country's advanced compared to many countries, but we, we still talk about needing a constitutional amendment for women to be treated equal. I mean, yeah. it, that, that language, that idea is, is hard to swallow at this point in time. Looking at Yeah, because the ERA was, it was, they were trying to ratify it when you were younger. That's right. It was yeah. a big deal when I was a teen. And wow. You're right. Exactly. And, and here we are. That's like in the third comment about my age, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a few things. I think, so obviously it would be just spectacular if your generation could get to a point where there was genuine equality. But I think a lot of it also lies with mothers of boys. Mm. I really think that, you know, mothers are teaching their daughters. Again, this is all anecdotal. You you can cite a survey. I have no idea. <laughs> this is anecdotal in, in my world. Women are teaching their daughters that they can be anything. They can do anything. They're, star, they're strong. They're smart. Um, they're capable. And I think um, women of boys, it's easy for me to I had none, I mean, are doing a better job at at teaching their boys that that that's true too, mm-hmm. that women can do anything and everything and they are equals. Mm-hmm. But I think the meth, I think there has to be a huge cultural shift and I, that's just not going to happen over time. I mean, it's happened in, in I was going to say in waves, but mm-hmm. it's, it's happened over time. You know, it happened in the generation before me when yeah. women really got out there and, and, and secured a lot of rights. And then it happened in my generation a bit. And then now your generation has to go a lot further with the cultural shift. But I do think a lot of this is going to lie with the way we raise our boys. I think that's a really good point because I think oftentimes when we talk about feminism, when we talk about the future generation, we talk about women empowerment. And I don't think that women need to be empowered. Because I think that women already are so filled with power. And I want women to awaken and use that power within themselves to demand and make change that's inclusive and intersectional and life-changing for the next generation. But I do think a lot of the change is going to lie within the powerful, within men. And men being not only allies to women, um, but also traitors to their own gender and calling them out when things are not right. And I think that raising boys to not only respect women and see them as their equal and and really um, reinforce consent and, and things of that nature is, is so crucial. But I think holding men and other men accountable is also so important and paramount in um, our our work towards equality and towards equity. Well, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, that's the, the reality is we've had thousands and thousands of years, right? Mm. And now we're trying to change, have a huge cultural shift to what's been happening forever. Yeah. And it's it takes time. Yeah. We've achieved so much in the past 100 years, but we still have a long way to go. And I think we have the power and the tools to do it now. We just got to get to work. I think that's my uh, TLDR for today's episode. Mom, this was so fun having you on my show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. She's crying. (laughs) She wants, she's running out. (laughs) (laughs) Pride. Yeah, I'm very proud, but also really glad it's over. (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe everybody who's listening is too. <laughs> Um, all right, guys, you know where to find me. You can always find me on Instagram and Twitter at Hannah Cranston and at Hannah Cranston host on Facebook. I'm not going to tell you where to follow my mom because that's really flicking weird, but please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. Also, please rate and review this podcast. I'll be giving shout outs and reading some of your comments. So be sure to do that. And just a reminder, we'll be coming at you every Wednesday. So buckle up because it's going to be too much to handle. See you next week. Ah!